why do you think the relationship is important? If Dave and I aren't in a good place, it kind of resonates and has ramifications throughout both our son schedule, perhaps, but certainly our, our well child's interpretation of what's going on. It adds more stress, which you don't need. I think it's also a little bit a conscious decision on the part of both parents to decide what the priority is in the moment. Like, I think just as a couple, you need to make a lot of sacrifices. And sometimes, depending on the day, which is what I wrote, the child has to come first at times. And then there are other times I think you need to make the conscious decision. Today, we're gonna to put the child second and we're gonna focus on ourselves. But I just, I think that's a really evolving pattern just depending on what's going on. And also both parents are not in the same place at the same time necessarily. So where I might be thinking, oh my gosh, we need to prioritize our relationship this week or today or this year, you know, my husband might be thinking it's really all about Jake right now. So I, you know, I think it's just, that's a really hard question to answer because I think it just changes depending on what's going on with the relationship and with the child in any given moment. So what gets in the way? If even some of the time, even if it's only 25%, the relationship is important, what gets in the way? Time and freedom. You know, if we don't have backup to take care of Jake or to help us take care of Jake, then our focus has to be on the day-to-day, moment-to-moment care. So if you don't have help, it's really hard to prioritize yourselves as a couple, day and night. I was just going to say that, um, like for us, I, I know that for myself, anger is the most accessible, quick emotion. And so sometimes when I'm feeling kind of all the other aspects of grief, anger that bubbles up is very easily directed at my husband. It's kind of the easiest target. Yes, thank you. Often the safest person. So the other things get in the way are fears. Fears of if I take time for this relationship, it's going to take away from something else. Or fear of intimacy. You know, we're so busy focused over here or we're just so busy, as Eric said, then it becomes actually quite hard. I don't know what it would be like to suddenly be in the relationship. The other thing that gets in the way, to be honest, is your sick child, right? And I don't mean that in any way as disrespectfully or in, and, but that's a reality, right? It has changed your relationship. It has changed your family. And that some, you know, that child, not meaning to, it has nothing to do with intention, sometimes gets in the way. The other thing that sometimes gets in the way for those of you who have other children, figuring out how to address them, how to spend time with them. It's sort of like, now how do we balance? We've got these children and we have the child that we sort of needs our attention in a different way. There's no room and there's no time. So sometimes the other children get in the way. I'm putting that in quotes. Sometimes the medical issues and medical crises get in the way. Sort of like there's an emergency or there's a crisis and we have to attend to that. Or there are hospitalizations or there are doctor's appointments. Sort of the day-to-day things often get in the way. Sometimes there's a fear of wasting time. Again, I'm putting that in quotes. If I spend time with my partner 
I'm taking away time from my ill child and I'm not gonna have that child forever. And I know that. And knowing that sort of like, I can't, I'll spend time with you later. I need to spend time now somewhere else. So I put the relationship on the back burner. Totally understandably, all these sort of things that get in the way, all the day-to-day -day stressors that come up, doesn't even include things like, who's gonna do the grocery shopping, getting the laundry done, somebody has to work, somebody wants a promotion, but it's not the right time to ask for that. There's sort of all the day-to-day -day stressors as well. But it's really important to think about, I worked with a colleague for a long time at the children's room, and we used to talk about filling your own well, that if you don't fill your own well and each other, you actually can't care for other people as well as you can if you nourish yourself. So the other thing I wanted to hit on was sensitive listening and sensitive responding what it means to actually hear each other when you have time to talk to each other, even if it's in the handoff, even if it's passing, but also when you are actually having a conversation about something you need to be talking about, whether it's your child, whether it's medical decisions, whether it's work-related or household, what it means to actually hear each other. And it may not always be about a solution. I know sometimes there are things you have to decide about medical decisions or who's going to do what tomorrow, but we're actually talking about being able to listen and hear each other. You're not, your goal is not to come up with a solution. Your goal is actually to hear and to have the other person experience being heard. You know, expressing ourselves is also how we respond. And just to go back, Laura, you mentioned anger, you know, being able to express all of our feelings and have them be heard and not necessarily taken in such a way that somebody gets mad back becomes really important. And that's hard to do. You don't wanna hurt the other person. And sometimes you're really mad at the other person for doing something or for not doing something. But to be able to say that some of these feelings are big. You know, Some of them are grief, some of them are anger. Some of them are the sort of sheer unfairness of all of this and where are they gonna come out? Well, they often come out with your partner and your ability to hear and respond without taking some of that personally becomes really important. It sometimes comes out in the wrong place and it means being able to go back and say, I'm really mad. It isn't necessarily anything you did or didn't do. That it's an ongoing, what we're really trying to highlight is the importance of communication, that the ability to kind of share in an ongoing way with each other and giving you know, each other a little bit of grace. Sometimes the expression of feelings is pretty ugly and that that's okay. So thinking about how we talk to each other and making time to actually have those conversations, as well as things that, you know, and some of this you've heard in a million different ways, you're talking about somebody says something to you and you think, yes, but, but I need to do this. Yes, but we have to do it a different way. What it means to say yes and, mm -hmm. meaning yes, I hear what you're saying. I don't have to agree. I don't have to like it. I can tell you later that I feel completely differently, but it's a very different thing than cutting somebody off by saying yes, but. Sort of yes, and I actually have a different feeling. I have a different view 
about that. So thinking about what it means to use I statements, even with each other. You know, I think we get complacent because we pick this person to be partnered with or married to, and it's like, we're just in this together. And I don't really need to sort of pay this person the same kind of thing I might have to do with my boss, for example. Actually, these are the most important people and you need to really think about that. So I'm just gonna sort of run down and then we'll have a chance, I'll open it up. We'll have a chance to talk about these. What it means to prioritize spending time together. And, you know, Barbara, to your point, sometimes that's workable, sometimes it's not on any given day or at any given hour. But when you have those moments to think about prioritizing spending time together, thinking about being a team in this. You don't have to be doing the same thing, but that you're in it together. You know, one of the quotes that came up early, earlier this evening has to do with, and one of the women speaks to this about feeling isolated. You're in a relationship, but you end up feeling completely isolated. And what it means instead to be thinking of, it's not me against you. We're in this together, even if we're doing things differently. And I, I raise that specifically because I, I, I run a lot of grief groups. Imagine if you didn't have this other person. Imagine if you were doing this alone. And I am sure there are moments where you think, I'd rather do this all by myself. But I also know that when you think, if you really spend time thinking about what it would mean to do this all by yourself, you end up with a slightly different appreciation for your partner. You know, it's, it's very important also to have realistic expectations. None of us are perfect and we're not ever going to be perfect. So do not set that up as your goal. We're not gonna be perfect parents and we're not gonna be perfect partners. So realistic expectations about I'm good at this, you're better at that, that that's okay. We're in this together, but we don't all have to be doing the same thing all the time. And that speaks to sort of the division of labor. It's not uncommon for one parent to be take the lead on all the medical pieces and maybe another parent is working. That it's fine. It's not about I'm doing more than you are or I'm bringing home the money. Yeah, but I'm spending all the time with the doctors. We each have our roles. And we found out, we figured out what we were either good at or what we needed to do or what we wanted to do. Not uncommon for one parent to say, I'm not leaving the hospital. This is what I'm doing. Okay, well, somebody needs to make money so that insurance will cover some of this. That's fine. There, there's some respect for that kind of division of labor. The other thing is about using humor. You know, for those of you who may remember a book called Man's Search for Meaning, and it's not specifically related to this situation, but one of the things that helps people get through enormous suffering is being able to use humor and have a playful attitude. You don't have to be playing all the time, but to be able to sort of think about what your attitude is. To be able to outsource if you can, and I want to be respectful, everybody's situation is different, but there are, if there are things you can outsource, so that you have a little bit more time with each other or time with your family. You don't need necessarily 20 lasagnas on your doorstep, but you might need somebody to go do your grocery shopping. And if you don't mind that, give them a list and let somebody else do it. That it's okay to think about outsourcing if you can, chores. People often wanna be helpful. If you're in a financial position to do that, you can also think about outsourcing. When you are together, thinking about what's something pleasurable or fun that we could do. And I'm talking small. It could be doing a crossword puzzle together. It could be spending 20 minutes watching a show together. It doesn't always have to be sort of talking and intense. 
The other thing is speaking up about problems before it's too late. There's so much going on and people are so busy. It's easy. I'll tell him later. I'll talk to her about that later. You know, you heard in the video, mm, we never talk or I'm too tired to talk. I don't want to talk about this, what it means to actually make time to get to things sooner rather than later and to show appreciation to each other thinking positively about your partner and sometimes that's easier than at other times but to sort of hold this as an underpinning which is not only are we in this together but this is somebody that I love and care about and I need to kind of hold that as ground it doesn't mean you're going to feel it in every moment but that you hold that as ground and agreeing on what's important in the video you heard one couple saying you know we don't always agree on other things but there are certain things we hold as important but you don't know what those are if you're not actually having a conversation about them at some point. I also want to just name sex and romance. And if you all laugh at me, I will not be surprised. But I do want to mention that intimacy, whether it's sexual or not, whether it's romantic or not, is important. This is not always about having a conversation. It's not always about talking. But just knowing that that kind of sitting close together, if you're watching TV, occasionally what it means to sort of, and you know, in COVID, I think we're all very suddenly aware of what it means not to be touching or hugging a lot of people or making those connections. So I just want to name it. The other thing has to do with family boundaries and keeping the boundaries. If you can outsource and find people who can genuinely help, great. There are often a lot of people who mean well, who are not helpful. It could be in-laws, it could be neighbors, it could be all kinds of other people, but to be able to know for yourself as a couple what's helpful to you and what's not. And that you've essentially made a commitment to each other as well as a commitment to be doing what you're doing with your children, your child or your children. And for those of you who are working to also be clear that in your workplace, they know your family comes first. And what does that mean for you in a workplace and the kind of work that you do? And then last, and I'll just end with this, has to do with your own individual self-care and that you each give permission for the other to do that. Even if it means, can I take five minutes to have a shower? We are not talking about going to the spa, not talking about going to Canyon Ranch. We're talking about small things that help each other feel better about him or herself so that you can bring that actually to the relationship as well. We have a wordle when you think about your marriage and you wanted to describe either an issue or a component of your marriage in one word, what would you contribute? My word contribution was parallel processing because I felt like sometimes my husband and I were doing that a lot and recognizing that we were doing it became really important to figuring out why we were doing it and what we were going to do about it. But I think it does happen a lot when you're dealing with a medically complex child. I think a lot of times it would come out, especially at particular times when my son's condition um, changed. I was sort of more the person that, that experienced that in the realistic way and in a very emotional way. And I would want to sort of say, okay, we've hit this juncture. Look at what it means. Look at where we're going from here. And my husband took a very different perspective on those things. He, he sort of said, Yep, it's a bump in the road. We're going to keep going. We're going to find the next solution. We're going to work it out. And 
you know, that, that became hard for me emotionally because I wanted him to get super sad when I was super sad, but he was always problem solving. So sometimes, and, and then sometimes it would reverse and we would do the opposite and he would become very quiet and sad. And I didn't recognize that because I had moved into action mode and away from sort of my emotional mode. I think our most challenging moments were when we, we were doing that and they, they weren't crossing at all. And then when we could stop and see how to make them cross, then we were able to sort of get over the hump. I'll jump in. I did respect because for me, I think one of our biggest challenges early on was, was learning that we each approached it really differently. And I know CPN has talked about this in a lot of ways with a lot of couples, but the way that I handled Jake getting sick versus the way that my husband handled Jake getting sick and then everything else that happened after that, um, we finally had to recognize that we had very different approaches where he threw himself into work because his mindset was, I can't lose my job. We need health insurance. I need to keep this family afloat. We need our home, you know, and mine was, research everything you can find. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to get the diagnosis. And, and we just had really different approaches. And we struggled with that a lot early on in the first year or two. And we were also always in crisis mode in the first year or two. So I think it was a combination of stress and not understanding why the two of us weren't really on the same page and how we were seeing what we needed to do. Um, but then ultimately, I think what's so key is just respecting those differences. And even what Jennifer was just saying, respecting that you're in different places at different times and also respecting what the other, what your spouse brings to the table. You know, we're in one of those relationships where John works and I stay home and take care of Jake. By default, those are identified roles. Something else that was in my mind when you were speaking earlier, Nancy, is one of the things that has been, I think really, helpful for us is when you validate the other person, not only respecting what they're feeling, but respecting what they're doing. And I think we forget, I think we take for granted, maybe I take for granted that he's always going to work and bring home the money and do his job. And he takes for granted that I'm taking care of Jake. But when you actually acknowledge to that person, wow, you're doing so much to help us as a family move forward. You know, whether he's acknowledging that, you know, I haven't slept in five nights or if I'm acknowledging that he had a business trip and how tired he must be. It's just, it, I feel like it, I always personally feel seen and heard when he validates my role and what I'm doing in the trenches every day. And I, I hope he sees it the same way if I validate his. I appreciate your saying that it relates to the division of labor that I was talking about, which is whatever those roles, however they have to get formed or they end up getting formed, that there's sort of deep respect and appreciation for the fact that somebody's doing something as a contribution, even if it's different than what the other person is doing. And I think I would just, in addition to the compassion, really recognizing in your particular situation right now that we don't all grieve the same way and that we don't all grieve at the same time and being in a one family doesn't mean everybody's doing it at the same time or in the same way at all. So the other you know, word in the wordle is grace, to actually give yourself 
each of you give yourself and give the other person some grace to know that you're not necessarily going to be grieving in sync. And as hard as that is, that recognition is important that I can sort of give, you know, you can give her some grace and she, and you can give yourself, doesn't have to come from someone else, that you can give yourself some grace for knowing that this is obviously both a brutal situation and that it takes, you know, it doesn't end, it just changes over time. And the opportunity to be kind to yourself and kind to each other becomes really important. Anyone else in terms of a word that sticks out to you, respect and grace were two that stuck out to me. How about someone else? I'm reminded of the feeling sometimes where my husband Charlie's behavior, I found it threatening to me. Like how I was coping, I was like had put my little coping protocols in a box and I was doing my coping and he was over here doing his coping and what he was doing, it wasn't that I didn't understand it, but I found it threatening to me. Like, don't get in the way of my getting through this. And what you're doing right now is threatening my ability in my mind to get through this. And I would resent him for that. I know my husband and I did a lot of fundraising and oftentimes that was the default answer. It was the distraction from the emotions that we didn't want to cope with. Um, in fact, if you watch one of my videos, it says, we say that, we say, oh, we could, when we couldn't agree on our emotions and how we were processing together, we could agree on the action that we were going to take as a result. And um, in retrospect, I kind of wish we had focused a little bit more on the emotions when they were happening to us. Um, but I, I was thinking back and looking at the Wordle list and I, and I, and I don't, I think this is going to come out negatively, but and pivots a little off of what Blythe said, but I, I wanted the word responsibility to be there because sometimes I didn't want to be responsible for my husband's emotional situation. I, I was so worried whether I was going to hold it together for my own self and for my, uh, for, for my children that I just, I just, I couldn't bear the feeling of that responsibility that I I already knew I had for my child and my other children, because I have other children. And I think that's a really hard thing to admit to yourself and then a really hard thing to figure out how to work around it. I think building on what Jennifer just said, um, not only the responsibility, but for me, it's, it's a matter of being needed all the time. I mean, I have all boys, so I don't know if it's that, but they all need me all the time. And part of me is like, I just want somebody to not need me for the, including my husband and Jake and my other son. Um, that's hard too. It's like, you know, everybody needs me all the time. And, you know, you could look that as look at that as a positive, I guess, how lucky am I to be needed and to have these three beautiful men in my life, but it's a constant and it's, it's just, there's no relief from that. And the other thing um, I wanted to mention, Nancy, that you brought up, you know, the child being in the way of the marriage for us, that's very literal. Like you can see Jake, he's, he's on top of me as we speak. We sit here every night like this and my husband sits on the other couch and he's like, I want to sit with you. <laughs> he took my spot. And that's, that's been a, for Jake is a total mama's boy. 
he will sit on top of me all day long. And if John tries to come over and sit, he swats him away, you know? So I think there's something to be said for the relationship that each parent has with the child. And often those relationships are very different like they are with any typical child even. But there's also, you can't ignore the fact that when you have a child that is this needy and this complex and it goes on for a long time, I, it's he, his presence consumes me and his presence um, makes John feel like Jake took his spot a lot, you know, and I'm like, I don't want to hug because I've been being hugged all day, like everyone. So I think there's that dynamic that's also really hard sometimes to, um, A, for one parent to feel like they're giving and giving and giving, but B, the actual literal presence of this sick child mm -hmm. is very real. And um, I think John, a lot of, he's not here, but a lot of times, and nor would he ever be here, but he would, he feels replaced. Like he took my place. And I think that's hard. I, I think it's hard for him. And it's also hard for me that he feels that way because I don't really have a good answer or solution to that because it is just like a fact, you know, right. sort of. As I said at the beginning, in, in no way disrespectfully, but there is a reality to the situation, which is that, you know, it's, it's hard enough in the best of circumstances to be raising children. They take up time and energy and space and they intrude on a couple's relationship in all kinds of ways, positive and negative. And then you have sort of an additional piece that sometimes feels really like a burden or feels like it has to be the priority. And then it takes up space in a different way, not just the physical space that you're talking about, Barbara, but it really sort of comes in between sometimes the couple and what it means for a couple to be able to step out of that sometimes and rejoin even in small moments becomes really important. I'm just gonna ask a question because I'm remembering something. There were moments, I remember moments where um, when it was hard and Charlie was better at something with Cameron than I was and I felt guilty and sort of jealous and that was confusing for me. Like he was, there were certain conditions that were like when he was really good at feeding her when she didn't want to eat. And you know, who can say what that was about, but I was jealous. I felt guilty that he was better at something than I was as the mother. So I'm just wondering if that's typical. I think that piece, especially when you feel like you have limited time and somebody else can do something that for whatever reason you're not either able to do or as good at, you know, that sense of I should be able to do this, right? I should be able, to, especially if you end up being the primary caregiver, I should be able to do it all. And then to have somebody come in. And it happens in relationships where there's not a sick child as well. Somebody else can soothe, somebody else can calm, somebody's better at something. You know, or the child at different ages reaches for one parent or the other and the other parent feels like, you know, what am I? So part of it is pretty typical anyway, and some of it is developmental, but I think that sense of I've put so much effort and I'm doing all these things and then here's something that I should be able to do. And now the other person is doing it what looks like better than I. 
is a pretty common, that sense of jealous. It happens in a lot of directions. The person who's at work feels jealous sometimes they're not at home. I'm not the one spending enough time with the child. I see some you know, heads nodding around that. So that issue of jealousy slash resentment slash guilt, why am I somehow not enough comes up in a lot of different ways. Any other questions, thoughts, things you're wondering about? This makes sense at all to people? Yeah, Laura. I don't know how, if this is specific enough, but I guess so what your thoughts are on, you know, if, if things derail and there's a moment where, you know, you're not proud of something that you said or did, I guess this can probably be any sort of relationship counseling, not specific to grief, but, um, you know, what, what are any, any suggestions you have on the first steps of coming back together or, you know, even like specific wording of things in terms of coming back together. So the first step is what you already said, which is that it's possible to come back together because sometimes it feels like, oh man, that was it. I really, I blew it. And I don't even want to come back and acknowledge it, or I don't want to talk about it. Or somebody's really mad or somebody sort of shuts down and you're like, oh great, look what's happened. You know, sort of knowing that none of these conversations with your spouse tend to be the end all or be all, that you can come back. And what it means, it takes a lot of bravery sometimes. Sometimes it's about apology, not always. You don't necessarily, you may not even feel sorry for what you said or did because you were really mad or it needed to be said. I mean, which is okay. You know what? You didn't clean up the house and I am really, really mad at you, fine. And maybe I could have used a better tone. Maybe I could have approached it differently. Um, but to be able to know that you can come back and that you know as a couple that you're both gonna do that. So language like, you know what? I was thinking about what I said or I was thinking about what I did and I'm not feeling so great about it. You may or may not want to apologize. I'm not necessarily suggesting that's the route, but it's a way to re-enter the conversation is what I'm suggesting. So to be able to say, you know what? That didn't go so well. And don't forget about using humor. You know, sometimes being able to come back with, wow, I blew that. I did a really bad job about that. And I know it. To come back into the conversation to reopen can be really, can be helpful. I also think it's, um, I, I can remember finding perspective when I realized it was a marathon and not a sprint like this is just a moment in a but what will God there was already a lot of history that we had and I was hopeful that there would be a lot of history in our future and that this one moment was not a was not forever and wasn't the way we would be forever I mean just in that the relating part I really like that idea of bringing perspective to it. Cause I think when, you know, post-diagnosis, ev every emotion was so turned up and heated up and it just felt like this new like norm or just like that you're always going to be in this kind of acute grief um, and that the relationship is forever altered because of it for the negative. Um, but no, it's, it is still just a moment in the bigger picture. I'm also encouraging you to practice. This is not a one, you know, I went to a lecture and let's see how the relationship goes to actually have to do it 
and to practice it and to keep coming back and practicing some more. And sometimes it'll be great and sometimes it'll be terrible. And that's completely fine. As you say, Laura and I have tried to yes. really practice the fact that it's important to forgive each other, but also yourself, right? Because you're never going to always get it right every time. And it's, you know, at least for me, I think I can beat myself up too. And I feel like I'm at fault or I could have done something differently. It's, it's going to happen, I think. And we're trying to support each other knowing that too, right? That it's, you might, I don't know, you have an argument or sort of have a bit of a falling out. Uh, it's one of those tough moments and that it's, the other person's probably not feeling great either, right? Um, just try and, we try and find ways to support I think in some of our like darkest weeks, we also, speaking of practice, just like simple things to implement was um, like gratitude practice. And we literally would get in bed with each other and say five things that we were grateful for to each other. And, you know, and just that active listening, it didn't have to be grateful that the other person did necessarily, but it was a uniting moment. Um, that was uplifting and you know it felt silly and even on like the crummiest day I could just be like I'm really thankful for the extra cup of coffee I had you know it didn't have to be something big and that that was really um, pulled us through a couple weeks 